Party. We've been reading A Little Princess by Frances Hodgson Burnett and a jingle from The Jingle Book by Carolyn Wells in every episode. Today, we're not going to them. We're going to hear a different jingle. And we're going to hear the first part of the ninth chapter. If you're new here, you should really go back and listen to the first episode and all the rest, or you might not understand the story. If you can, please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps the podcast be more publicized and everything helps. All right, let's get started. Chapter 9, Melchizedek, Part 1. The third person in the trial was Lottie. She was a small thing and did not know what adversity meant and was much bewildered by the alteration she saw in her young adopted mother. She had heard it rumored that strange things had happened to Sarah, but she could not understand why she looked different, why she wore an old black frock and came into the schoolroom only to teach instead of to sit in her place of honor and learn lessons herself. There had been much whispering among the little ones when it had been discovered that Sarah no longer lived in the rooms in which Emily had so long sat in state. Lottie's chief difficulty was that Sarah said so little when one asked her questions. At seven, mysteries must be made very clear if one is to understand them. Are you very poor now, Sarah? She had asked confidentially the first morning her friend took charge of the small French class. Are you poor as a beggar? She thrust a fat hand into the slim one and opened round tearful eyes. I don't want you to be poor as a beggar. She looked as if she was going to cry and Sarah hurriedly consoled her. Beggars have nowhere to live, she said courageously. I have a place to live in. Where do you live? persisted Lottie. The new girl sleeps in your room and it isn't pretty anymore. I live in another room, said Sarah. Is it a nice one? inquired Lottie. I want to go and see it. You must not talk, said Sarah. Miss Minchin is looking at us. She will be angry with me for letting you whisper. She had found out already that she was to be held accountable for everything which was objected to. If the children were not attentive, if they talked, if they were restless, it was she who would be reproved. But Lottie was a determined little person. If Sarah would not tell her where she lived, she would find out in some other way. She talked to her small companions and hung about the elder girls and listened when they were gossiping and acting upon certain information they had unconsciously let drop. She started late one afternoon on a voyage of discovery, climbing stairs she had never known the existence of until she reached the attic floor. There she found two doors near each other, and opening one, she saw her beloved Sarah standing upon an old table and looking out of a window. "'Sarah!' she cried, aghast. "'Mama Sarah!' She was aghast because the attic was so bare and ugly and seemed so far away from all the world. Her short legs had seemed to have been mounting hundreds of stairs. Sarah turned round at the sound of her voice. It was her turn to be aghast. What would happen now? If Lottie began to cry and anyone chanced to hear, they were both lost. She jumped down from her table and ran to the child. Don't cry and make noise, she implored. I shall be scolded if you do, and I have been scolded all day. It's it's not such a bad room, Lottie. Isn't it? gasped Lottie, and as she looked around it, she bit her lip. She was a spoiled child yet, but she was fond enough of her adopted parent to make an effort to control herself for her sake. 
Then somehow, it was quite possible that any place in which Sarah lived might turn out to be nice. Why isn't it Sarah? She almost whispered. Sarah hugged her close and tried to laugh. There was a sort of comfort in the warmth of the plump, childish body. She had had a hard day and had been staring out the windows with hot eyes. You can see all sorts of things you can't see downstairs, she said. What sort of things? demanded Lottie, with that curiosity Sarah could always awaken, even in bigger girls. Chimneys, quite close to us, with smoke curling up in wreaths and clouds and going up into the sky and sparrows hopping about and talking to each other just as if they were people, and other attic windows where heads may pop out any minute and you can wonder who they belong to, and it all feels as high up as if it was another world. Oh, let me see it, cried Lottie. Lift me up. Sarah lifted her up, and they stood on the old table together and leaned on the edge of the flat window in the roof and looked out. Anyone who has not done this does not know what a different world they saw. The slates spread out on either side of them and slanted down into the rain gutter pipes. The sparrows, being at home there, twittered and hopped about quite without fear. Two of them perched on the chimney top nearest and quarreled with each other fiercely until one pecked the other and drove him away. The garret window next to theirs was shut because the house next door was empty. I wish someone lived there, Sarah said. It is so close that if there was a little girl in the attic, we could talk to each other through the windows and climb over to see each other if we were not afraid of falling. The sky seemed so much nearer than when one saw it from the street that Lottie was enchanted. From the attic window among the chimney pots, the things which were happening in the world below seemed almost unreal. One scarcely believed in the existence of Miss Minchin and Miss Amelia and the schoolroom, and the roll of wheels in the square seemed a sound belonging to another existence. Oh, Sarah, cried Lottie, cuddling in her guarding arm. I like this attic. I like it. It is nicer than downstairs. Look at that sparrow, whispered Sarah. I wish I had some crumbs to throw to him. I have some, came in a little shriek from Lottie. I have part of a bun in my pocket. I bought it with my penny yesterday, and I saved a bit. When they threw out a few crumbs to the sparrow, when they threw out a few crumbs, the sparrow jumped and flew away to an adjacent chimney top. He was evidently not accustomed to intimates in attics, and unexpected crumbs startled him. But when Lottie remained quite still, and Sarah chirped very softly, almost as if she were a sparrow herself, he saw that the thing which had alarmed him represented hospitality after all. He put his head on one side, and from his perch on the chimney looked down at the crumbs with twinkling eyes. Lottie could scarcely keep still. Will he come? Will he come? she whispered. His eyes look as if he would, Sarah whispered back. He's thinking and thinking whether he dare. Yes, he will. Yes, he's coming. He flew down and hopped toward the crumbs, but stopped a few inches away from them, putting his head on one side again, as if reflecting on the chances that Sarah and Lottie might turn out to be big cats and jump on him. At last his heart told him they were really nicer than they looked, and he hopped nearer and nearer, darted at the biggest crumb with a lightning peck, seized it, and carried away to the other side of his chimney. Now he knows, said Sarah, and he will come back for the others. He did come back, and even brought a friend, and the friend went away and brought a relative, 
and among them they made a hearty meal over which they twittered and chattered and exclaimed, stopping every now and then to put their heads on one side and examine Lottie and Sarah. Lottie was so delighted that she quite forgot her first shocked impression of the attic. In fact, when she was lifted down from the table and returned to earthly things, as it were, Sarah was able to point out to her many beauties in the room which she herself would not have suspected the existence of. It is so little and so high above everything, she said, that it is almost like a nest in a tree. The slanting ceiling is so funny. See, you can scarcely stand up at this end of the room, and when the morning begins to come I can lie in bed and look right up into the sky through that flat window on the roof. It is like a square patch of light. If the sun is going to shine, little pink clouds float about, and I feel as if I could touch them. And if it rains, the drops patter and patter as if they were saying something nice. Then if there are stars, you can lie and try to count how many go into the patch. It takes a lot. And just look at that tiny rusty grate in the corner. If it was polished and there was a fire in it, just think how nice it would be. You see, it's really a beautiful little room. She was walking round the small place, holding Lottie's hand and making gestures, which described all the beauty she was making herself see. She quite made Lottie see them too. Lottie could always believe in the things Sarah made pictures of. You see, she said, there could be a thick, soft blue Indian rug on the floor, and in that corner there could be a soft little sofa with cushions to curl upon, and just over it could be a shelf full of books that no one could reach them easily, and there could be a fur rug before the fire and hangings on the wall to cover up the whitewash and pictures. They would have to be little ones, but they could be beautiful. And there could be a lamp with a deep rose-colored shade and a table in the middle with things to have tea with and a little fat copper kettle singing on the hob and the bed could be quite different. It would be made soft and covered with a lovely silk coverlet. It would be beautiful. And perhaps we could coax the sparrows until we made such friends with them that they would come and peck at the window and ask to be let in. Oh, Sarah, cried Lottie, I should like to live here. When Sarah had persuaded her to go downstairs again and, after setting her on her way, had come back to her attic, she stood in the middle of it and looked about her. The enchantment of her imaginings for Lottie had died away. The bed was hard and covered with its dingy quilt, the whitewashed wall showed its broken patches, the floor was cold and bare, the grate was broken and rusty, and the battered footstool tilted sideways on its injured leg, the only seat in the room. She sat down on it for a few minutes and let her head drop in her hands. The mere fact that Lottie had come and gone away again made things seem a little worse, just as perhaps prisoners felt a little more desolate after visitors come and go, leaving them behind. It's a lonely place, she said. Sometimes it's the loneliest place in the world. Okay, it's jingle time. So, as I said, today's jingle isn't from the jingle book. I'll read it, and it's called Something to Ask. Here goes. As an avid listener of your superb podcast, I hate to interrupt you, but I have something to ask. I love hearing The Jingle Book by Carolyn Wells, but I have a suggestion, even though I'm not one who yells. 
You should read jingles that the listeners can loan. And maybe you should consider even reading your very own. I think it would be cool to hear everyone's lyrics of their own poems, jingles, and limericks. You can wait until you move on to a brand new book to read. Then you can start saying, loan a poem for nudie. That was so cool. I loved, loved, loved it. Thank you so much to the listener who sent it. I know you spent a lot of time doing it and I really appreciate it and the idea. So listeners, send me a jingle when you want. I'd love to hear it and if you like, I'll read it on the podcast. And that's the end of our episode today. I hope you enjoyed it. Come back on Thursday when we will hear the last part of our ninth chapter. Have a great week. A whale of thanks to Epidemic Sound for the songs and sound you heard today and to Project Gutenberg for the books we read. Music